this week on Deep Night. And so I was like, okay. So I like built a fort out of these folding chairs, like put two on the sides and made a roof. And he was like, now get in it, sit inside of it. He was like, you like it? I was like, yeah. He was like, okay. So now let's run, let's run the lines back and forth. And you do it from inside your little fort. Oh, friends, hello, it's me, Dale Seaver, and I'm thrilled to be your orientation leader, your turtleneck fit specialist, and your neighbor you never see, but you can feel. I am your host through this hour of regrets and revelations as we journey together out past the dusty rings of Saturn and the icy surface of Lil Pluto to a place we call the Deep Night. We come to you as we always do from the foul banks of the Gowanus. I've welcomed so many people onto this show, and somehow it was not until this episode, about 246 if you're keeping score in your scrapbooks, that something clicked for me, and I understood an essential bit about the comedy and theatrical worlds to which I am drawn, the kind of personalities to which I have a great affinity for. I've talked about uh, uh, previously on this show about how there are various theaters, you know, in New York and L.A. that define a scene. What I failed to realize sometimes feels as if I'd just been stumbling around in the dark wearing tinted lenses, feeling the walls, unsure of what's right in front of me. What I failed to realize, of course, is that there is a huge talent engine in the middle of New York that fuels so much of what's happening at places like Union Hall, UCB, The Pit, Joe's Pub, etc. And that, of course is a world-class program at NYU and the Tisch School of the Arts. Dave Mazzoni, who I interview this episode, tied a lot of things together for me. Now, of course, NYU is a, is a driver of so much work, you know, for the stage. Of course, Liz Suedos was influential to many people. And you're saying, well, come on, Dale. But it's true. Not being from here, kind of being an outsider, you know, as I am, it takes a moment to trace all these invisible threads that form this common bond in the city. Now, not all of my guests and not all the comedy I like comes through NYU, but I, it's easy uh, uh, to forget that it's such a powerful force, is what I'm saying. So you can connect directly or indirectly the musical sketch comedy of Pop Roulette which David is a founder of, to the theatrical work of Greg Hildreth, who is on the show soon to be seen as Olaf, the snowman in Broadway's Frozen, to Kate Berlant and John Early, to Joe Lampert, who sang with us as we performed at Joe's Pub, now starring in the Joan of Arc production at The Public. All these phenomenally talented young people, and it was sitting in front of me the whole time. That Fiorella LaGuardia statue that I love so much, I brought it up a few times now. It's right in front of the NYU post office, which I use all the time, because the actual post office is a nightmare. True story. I ordered a pair of fancy socks from Kickstarter, made of silver or something from Holland. Well, when I missed the delivery, they said I could pick it up at the Red Hook post office. I just let it go. I never went to try and even pick it up, because the experience there is so unbearably miserable. That tells you a lot about my relationship to purchases and to footwear. But if I had to, I'd certainly go to the Red Hook post office to pick up Dave Mazzoni. Who is Dave? Well, we do a pretty good job of covering his trajectory from a kid in Rhode Island to a powerhouse on the stage in New York. I realized he's just beginning his life as I was spending my time in Rhode Island as a young man. So it's interesting to hear his perspective growing up 
and it made me think about my own period of growth artistically, intellectually, during my time in Providence. And what a difference a few, mm, 20, years makes. As I said, Dave graduated from New York University with a BFA in drama from Tisch uh, School of the Arts. He's also taking classes at Upright Citizens Brigade, Cat 21 Conservatory, and Broadway Dance. That's a great facility. That's what you like to see, like a sprung floor. Maybe some Marley, a Marley floor. That's what they cover on the dance. I know the terms. He's also spent time writing and developing new work with the late Liz Suedos, as we said, and we talk about her influence a bit in this episode. David's the co-founder of the musical sketch comedy group Pop Roulette, which was named a comic to watch in 2015 by somebody. That's a great thing. You never know who's watching you. Since its inception in 2012, Pop Roulette has been seen at New York City venues such as UCB, Ars Nova, Littlefield, the Bell House, People's Improv Theater, among others, all the best. Listen, if you only did that circuit, you'd be fine. David has also traveled the country performing his original material at major comedy festivals all over and in Canada. Hello, Canada. A lot of listeners up there. So now that we've set the stage, so to speak, let us go ever further into the deep night for a conversation with the talented comedian and performer, Dave Mazzoni. Dave Mazzoni, how are you? Hey there, I'm great, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing terrific. <laughs> As I said, a little bleary from all my activities, but uh, you were uh, you were just traveling, is that true? I was. Speaking, that can make you bleary too. Yes. <laughs> Out there in Los Angeles. Yes. Chasing dreams, the were you? The city of angels. That's what they say. <laughs> the city that sleeps. <laughs> the city that sleeps. Everyone's in bed at like 11.30 over there. I did sleep well, and you know what else? They're fond of brunch. What? Yes. Oh, my God. The, I assume people do that here, too, but I don't do it as much. L.A., oh, let's have brunch every day. Yeah, I, I had probably some of the best meals of my life in L.A. The food culture there is, like, out of control. Really? Yeah, you could. there's, like, a million places to have an amazing salad. <laughs> <laughs> all different kinds of things. Yeah, you can really you can really go all over the place with those. And not just, not just greens. No. No, there's, like, corn. There's, like... <laughs> Avocado. <laughs> I, we were driving up the coast, and um, there we went by like an avocado farm. I think it was. Yeah. And they had a guy on the on the side of the road, twenty five avocados for five bucks. Woo! And I was like, I like, I almost pulled over, and th I like tried to think about how I could somehow bring them back to New York City, and then I just realized that that was just not going to happen. <laughs> what were you going to resell them? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Make I'm, a little I'm, money. I'm, I'm without employment right now, so you know, avocado salesman is like these days. Maybe maybe it's something that I could use. Take it where you can get it. I understand. I like yeah. that spirit, too. But what, what were you doing out there? Um, so I had gone out to Los Angeles. Um, originally, uh, my sketch group, Pop Roulette. Um, yes, we'll talk about that. Which yep. we'll talk about. Yeah, we, yep. have, a, we have a couple of um, amazing shows out at UCB. Um, we did Amazing Earth, which is our show that is basically about uh, how our planet is totally fine. And yeah. um, we are great. And oh, uh, we don't need any help at all. And uh, oh. we took that show out to um, out to UCB Sunset and UCB Franklin. Yeah. And I did a couple of shows myself out there, a couple of mics, and uh, booked a couple of spots, and also just enjoyed the sunshine. Sure. It's a great city. It is. And I want to be poor there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's tough any place. Yeah. But do um, you think you could live out there? I think so. But like I said, I... I uh, I think being poor in, in New York is a little bit easier than being poor in L.A. Really? 
Well, not I say poor sort of jokingly, but like uh, L.A. is it's really about um, to me it was about like uh, it's about how what you have or uh, at least like how you roll like these people it's not cheap to get around there and the car the whole car culture is just ridiculous there's like a, there's a lot to get around it's just a lot and uh, like i was booking shows and people were like okay great so when you get here at 5 30 like i would get here a little bit earlier because the, the part and there was like a paragraph about parking <laughs> like every email right. was like and here's a paragraph about where the hell you might park um and that stressed me out man i can't deal with that i haven't driven since 2008 i'm not trying to start now but i would like to go there with a chauffeur chauffeur <laughs> yes well maybe that'll happen yeah perhaps you'll see well i like to ask the question do you think you could live out there because that feels like very east coast establishment and i ask it because i long to be part of the east coast establishment <laughs> <laughs> well i i think you're up you would fit in just great as part of an east coast establishment thank you i do too <laughs> i could be in a parlor room yes absolutely Absolutely. Smoking jacket? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I see it. So that's what's perfectly. required. <laughs> <laughs> well, I lived out there in L.A. a number of years. Had a good time of it. Um, good would be generous, but <laughs> let's yeah. say I, I paid my dues out there. There's I a did. lot of culture. Like it's it, There's like some really cool pockets of the city, but, you know, I just feel like uh, after a while, like there's nothing like like a jaded New Yorker, man. <laughs> that's really the sweet spot, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's nothing about like just like a weathered... New York, cigarette smoking, coffee drinking, angry. It's just I feel like the hustle's a little bit different here. Yes. LA I would feel like I would just I would just go to the beach all the time, but that's because, you know, I didn't grow up there. Right, right. You you grew up out here, part of the yes, East I Coast did. establishment. Mm-hmm. One of our most established states. Rhode Island. Rhode Island. Yes. And Providence um, Plantations. But we dropped that back part off. It's not a good look. <laughs> uh, no. That's still the name, actually. Look it up. It's still the name. <laughs> Little Roadie. Little Roadie. Well, um, I want to talk about that, but in, in L.A. for just a, one more moment. Yes, of course. Um, uh, because while I was out there, I did all the things that people do. Uh, ran out of money from catering gigs, uh, <laughs> slept under the elevators at the Beverly Center. Mm-hmm. You know, things that, that people <laughs> do. And uh, pilot season, whenever that comes around, is that? but you weren't out there for that. I was not out there for pilot season. No. Um, I actually haven't been out there properly to do a pilot season just yet. Soon. Uh, the time is coming soon, yeah. um, but I, I, I haven't, like been able to finagle my plans to get out there specifically for pilot season. Yeah. It's like well, I haven't had like a wave of opportunities that's made it worth it, you know? It's happening. Yeah. Probably after this show. Oh, pro- I think I, definitely. <laughs> I'll tell you a hint, though. If you go out, you look for those yellow signs where they have the set, mm-hmm. they have an arrow, and maybe it'll be some nonsense word, but trust me, you follow that and you put on a black T-shirt, some black jeans, or you can make a walkie-talkie out of a cardboard tissue box, <laughs> put it on your belt. Yes. You can walk up to any craft services table. <laughs> <laughs> and help yourself. Free lunch. You will never go hungry. Wow, that's there. great. And you said you had some good restaurant uh, experiences. Yeah. Did you have any good celebrity eating uh, sightings? Um, I no celebrity eating sightings. However, <laughs> um, I did see. Well, I I had an, um, like I said, lunch was probably my favorite meal of the day. There, we had some amazing oysters. Oh. Um, I had like some sushi that was killer. I had poke for the first time. Oh, the bowl. Yeah, the bowl. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was pretty good. At first, I was People like, well, this looks like this. a sushi mess, but it, it was actually delicious. It was a sushi salad. 
A sushi salad. This is it's it's all the rage on a lot of places. Yeah. I've avoided it, but it's a uh, a bowl. Yes, and then the they fill rice. it with rice, and they, you can pick. It's very chipotle. Squares of chipotle, but with fish. But with fish, and then you can add like you know scallions or like crunchy tempura flakes or avocado or cucumber, and it's basically like a chipotle bowl, but it's it's sushi, and it was like eleven dollars and so delicious. The bowl <laughs> is our laziest device, yes. isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it's just kind of I mean, like toss it in. Yeah, that. Yeah, that's you can feel the profit being made. Oh, absolutely. There's like zero presentation to it at all. The person was just throwing it in there, but I gotta say it was good. Yeah, well, I'd like to see a celebrity eat that. I watched a Rachel McAdams and Ryan Gosling eat a burger. Oh, how was that? It was thrilling. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> that's a real reason to move it here. I guess New York, you might see Billy Eichner or Deborah Messing. One time I served, back when I worked at a restaurant, I served Blake Lively a beet salad, and she was quite nice. That's totally on brand. Yeah, it was absolutely made so much sense. She was like, how's the beet salad? I was like, oh, Blake, I could have literally ordered that for you. I I just knew. But she loved it. She loved the toasted pecans. And she had cute boots on. Love Blake Lively. If you're Blake Lively, if you're listening, which I'm sure you are. I'm sure she is. Loved you. You were wonderful. Yep. I saw Nick Kroll yesterday struggle with an MTA machine Ugh. just down here. <laughs> See, the, New they're, York they're just too. like us. <laughs> <I know. laughs> All right. Well, I haven't I, I met that many people from Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, I, I spent some time there, did a little schooling there, and uh, a couple of people, that Seth McFarlane, mm-hmm. I met, and uh, uh, he was at the school that I was there. My mm-hmm. friend Russell. He mm-hmm. lived with his parents in Cranston and looked after some differently abled uh, men and women at mm-hmm. a home. We we did, we were great friends and did summer theater together. Well, what was it like growing up there in Rhode Island? And you said, uh, what what play, what part of it were you well, near? Well, so I'm from Cranston. It's so funny to hear Cranston. you say Cranston because nobody knows anything about that place. <laughs> um, it's very much the influence for Family Guy. To be honest, I yeah. wa- I watch Family Guy and I just laugh so hard because there are these little little tiny little jokes and and a lot of the accents too. It feels like it's this thing that they make up for the characters, but people talk like that. It's, my dad is one of those people. And you've really shaken the accent. The Providence of uh, Rhode Island yeah. accent is hard. It's tough. Yeah, I had to. Sh- well, <laughs> I I went to NYU and as soon as I got here, people were like. Oh my God! They were like, "Say, you know what? I said I used to say cast iron frying pan, <laughs> cast iron frying pan," and I was just get. I mean, I at, at NYU specifically at Tisch, they were like, "Okay, so if you want somebody to take you seriously, um, you need to lose your accent, and so we're going to put you in a specialized class to help you get rid of that." So I knocked it pretty quickly. Who else is in there? What? Some people from Baltimore. Um, I, yeah, a lot of international <laughs> students, some Baltimore kids. Yeah. Um, we had a. There was one guy from Texas who literally sounded like he had just stepped off the ranch, <laughs> and I loved it. It was so endearing, yeah. but it, he it needed to be a tool in his arsenal and not his uh, his like base right baseline. It's like an immersion lesson in bad sounds. Oh my god! Yeah, you didn't even. Re- I didn't even realize what I. I was doing wrong until it was really highlighted to me, and now I feel like I've really neutralized. But uh, uh, Providence, the accent that's around there, mm-hmm. seems to me a blend between New York and Boston. Mm-hmm. And if you go down to Philadelphia, that's kind of a blend between Baltimore and New York. Sure, it's amazing as you go down the coast how it just—it's it's just this gradation of 
mm-hmm. uh, until you get to the real hard Boston thing. But the Providence being in that sweet spot in between. Yeah, is, it, it's something uh, all its own. It really hits the ear. I always refer to Rhode Island as uh, like as Boston and New Jersey's love child. Yeah. Um, New York yeah. as well, like in, in Brooklyn especially. But I always say New Jersey because I, I grew up in a very Italian family. And yeah. New Jersey has that has a lot of that culture in it. Yes. It's, it's And the accent, is, it's like, you know, we everyone's loud and loves red wine, but everyone, like, roots for the Red Sox. It's, like, it's very confusing. It's it's the combination of the two. Um, but you know what? Good family structure, good good values. Yeah. And weed is legal over there now. <laughs> well, they have some, some advantages to yeah, it, see. and I'm sure that's popular among the many schools. Oh, yeah. There's, <laughs> there's, like, you know, there's not too many people in the state. We just kind of say... You know, does everybody want weed? And everyone just shouts, yes! And then there, it's, it is decreed. All ten of you There's gather. ten of us, yeah. It's, it's very easy to pass Around things. a statue of Roger Williams and, <laughs> and go for it. Is that where you went to school? Uh, I did, mm. yes. Yeah, do a little continuing education in the mold-making program there. Roger the, Williams is a beautiful campus. Oh, no, not there, not at the university. Oh, no, okay, no, no. okay. I, I went to... I did some studies at the Rhode Island School of Design. Ah, uh, 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 RISD, yes. I had some yes. friends up at Brown, and then uh, I always wanted to study cooking at Johnson & Wales. My sister's boyfriend, um, that's how they met, actually. He moved from Florida to uh, to Rhode Island to go to Johnson & Wales. Yeah. Completed the program. A really, a, like, a, I had no idea, because growing up, it was Johnson & Wales. Just It sounded like one of those random schools that, right. like, you get, an, like, a, a spam email for. <laughs> right. But I had found out later, when especially when I went to NYU, people had... People knew about it. It, it yeah. really is quite an esteemed culinary institution. So I was yeah. very happy to have grown up around such amazing food and culinary students that a lot of people will stay right there. Downtown Providence, they did a really good job cleaning it up like 20 years ago. They really gutted that place out, and it's beautiful. Well, let's talk about that because I was there mm, 20 years ago yeah. about that. And downtown was a ghost town. Yeah, people would come to work at mm, a bank. Yeah, sure, <laughs> think whatever, whatever, like locates in Providence. <laughs> and so you'd, uh, you know, if you're looking for nightlife, downtown was not it, except for a couple of very seedy karaoke places. <laughs> Where I had <laughs> Which I'm inter- sure are still there. Yeah, I'm, well, I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> I don't, they could have blown away. Uh, it was not good. And I guess people would go to Filene's basement that was there. Oh, Filene. this was during the Cianci years. Mm-hmm. Buddy Cianci, a kind of noted celebrity um, convict, ex-con mm-hmm. mayor of Providence, who I guess got in trouble for... I don't know, taking a piss on somebody. Yeah, it was uh, pre- it's pretty scandalous. Yeah. It was like I was like quite young at the time, but I remember reading and hearing all about it. It was like Cianzi was like a word that was at every martini bar in, <laughs> yeah. in the greater Providence area. It filled the air. Yes, it did. <laughs> but there was a guy downtown. You go, uh, there was, a, of course, Providence also famous for its diners-ish, I mean, like a street car yeah. food kind mm-hmm. of thing. Not food trucks, but something else. Right. Kind of an Airstream trailer that might serve pancakes. Right, right, right. Yeah, something like that. There was so, one that actually, There, I, I know what you're talking about. My dad used to, my dad's a firefighter, or was for many years, and there was one of those trailers would show up at his fire station in the parking lot three days a week. Yep. And it was only those three days, Jimmy D's, and we would go there and I would get banana pancakes and they were so good. And then it would just go drive away, go somewhere else for four more days. Yeah, they had another engagement. Honestly, I really enjoyed. Well, this was a kind of a meatball specialty mm-hmm. place. And there was a guy out there who was standing in the square, all dressed in red, white, and blue. And he had a tape recorder that he had recorded music from a carousel somewhere. I guess there's one down by the beach somewhere. Yes, there is. Uh, and he recorded that. So it had that kind of calliope music. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> he would sing over and over again at the top of his lungs at lunch hour. 
Buddy Cienci, the mayor of Providence. Buddy Cienci, the mayor of... Like, he was his biggest fan. It would celebrate him in the town square. There wow. may have been other words, but he Icon. Just, I know. I don't know what happened to the guy. Oh, he had one of those, like, Dr. Seuss hats. I'll probably like, see him at an audition tomorrow. <laughs> probably you go, behind him go in Go out for the same parts, oh. do you? Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, the the mall really, I think, changed a lot of things. The, yeah. The Providence Place Mall was... I, I remember it being built... It's huge. It brought a lot of commerce to that area. They they really cleaned up the river over there. They put in water fire. Oh, jeez. Which yeah, is I beautiful. Was, yes, it, it, yes, it is. really is nice. <laughs> they, and they have a like Trinity rep over there, which is one of my favorite repertory theaters. And one of the last remaining, I think, in the country. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they have like a really they do a really wonderful season every year. And um, as a young child, that was like one of my first tastes of like professional theater. Yes. I was uh I was the turkey boy in the in a Christmas Carol. Oh, that's at a key Trinity role. Rep. Yes, I came. I mean, I had like variety of like I was the child in like every town square scene, <laughs> right. um, but I had like a dresser and I was being paid and I did like like thirty shows a month. Like it was, uh, I felt so official and I was in like maybe the maybe the sixth grade or the fifth grade and it was like my first real taste of what it was like to be a professional actor and that was where I. Got the bug, my yeah. mother. My mother says. And how did you? How do you demonstrated a, a love of theater up until then? Were you exposed to things? I had done. My parents were trying to figure me out, man. Every month yeah. it was every every summer it was like a soccer camp, you know, basketball camp. I would go away on art camp, like, and then I did an all children's theater was the name of the uh, the camp, and it was basically mm-hmm. like a children's summer program where you would. Um, it was half sort of like creating your own work and putting on a, a show together, and half like you would do a musical, you would do a straight play. And um, the community there was really great. This one na- lady, her name was Mary Lee. I'll never forget her. She was so inspiring. She was so vibrant. <laughs> she looked like Gloria Stefan, but like just she had like this long, long, long hair. And, and I was obsessed with her as a young what I, I didn't realize then as a young gay man. I was obsessed with this lady. <laughs> I just thought she was so fabulous. And I loved um, how you didn't have to think you had permission to do anything you wanted to in this camp. It was like, say say whatever you thought, and, and if you wanted to act like a frog, act like a frog. Like, there was no um, sort of, like, uh, glaring eyes. Everyone was there to have fun. And that that's part of the magic of theater and, and the people that are in that community, I feel. They really encouraged you. Yeah, they, they really, like, let, you know, I, I, as I was a child, so, like, I definitely <laughs> was just being a child in some of those moments. But, you know, I, I did that camp up until I was around 13 years old, and 13 is tough. 13 yeah. like, this weird place where, like, yes. you're trying to figure it out, and you're starting to become aware of, like, oh, other people can judge you, and, um, oh, like, I'm, I'm not like that person, or I am like that person. You just social you, – you, you create a social awareness that can be really damaging to a, cre- a young creative spirit if you don't kind of manipulate it in the right way. Yes, yes. And, um, but you found that. I did, yeah. yeah. And um, – and then after that, it was like I went out for all these auditions, and I was I had a great voice. I I do I still love to sing, um, yeah. and I do sing a lot in, in my comedy a, now. Still have a great voice. Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, but did I just come out fully formed, or did you have to train that? Um. Well, I had a couple of voice teachers, um, which now I wish I had a camera in the corner of the room because I was like my voice teachers in Cranston, Rhode Island, were like the local singers. Yeah. Like whoever was like good at singing. Um. And I, I remember. Uh, I remember very distinctly having a teacher. His name was David as well, and um, he would be like, "Now just push, push." And that like, that's like the worst advice you could ever give a singer is to like is to feel like you're pushing or <laughs> right. to feel like you're straining. And he'd be like, "Yeah, no, just push it out, push." And and I, I remember 
leaving class and feeling like very fatigued vocally and being like, I don't know about this. <laughs> and then going away for a summer and, and uh, coming to NYU, I was like, oh, wow, I learned it completely wrong from like the local church singers. But somehow I figured it out. But I had to like unteach all those habits and learn learn new ways of singing that were healthier. That was that was the major plus of coming to NYU was I felt like I had a lot of people who knew what the hell was going on. Right, right. Um, and while you were there as a young person in, in Providence, Rhode in yeah. Rhode Island, um, you happen to catch any of my summer theater performances? I don't, I don't think I did, perhaps. Well, that's a shame. Where, where were you performing? I was up at the uh, Brown uh, right. Summer Theater Program mm -hmm. doing a lot of murder mysteries. <laughs> you know, my parents never really exposed me to Like, I never really spent a lot of time at Brown. I, I no. went there later just to be on the campus and drink as, like, a 19-year-old. Sure. I would be on Thayer Street, like, every weekend. Oh, Like, man. trying desperately to get into hookah bars and, like, <laughs> anywhere that they would, like, let me in. I would, like, wear my, like, butcher's shirt and, like, talk real low and, like, just try to get in and drink. There's some real characters along that street, but all over Providence. Yeah. For sure, you, it feels you, do very. Do you pull like... any of those forward into your comedy now? I mean, there were some real <laughs> people, like uh, people that owned that uh, dance club thing near the Paragon. They, I don't know if it was still there, but yeah. they they would like keep you out if you didn't have the right shoes. Ugh. I had sneakers on one night or something, and I went in. There's no rubber soled shoes, so I went home and I had a pair of really ugly white loafers. Uh, white, uh, uh, yeah, like dress shoes. They yeah. were quite low for Like kind of leather. With like the gold band across the top. Sure. I Something it. I had for a show. And I came back wearing those, you know, with a regular outfit. He was not happy, but I, I said, well, Let me in. I'm in. See, I hate that. that. That was something when I went to LA. <laughs> I went, I had a backpack oh. at this bar. And How like in New York you. City, like I'm going to title my book. Backpack at the bar, right? <laughs> because I'm always packed like an SUV when I when I'm out and about. You know, I, I bring my materials for the whole day, and it was so strange in LA to like walk in with a backpack, and I was like, "Well, what do you think is in here?" <laughs> I was like, "There's like gym clothes, a sandwich, some sheet music, an iPhone charger." Uh, right. I was like, "You can go through it," and they were like, "I'm sorry, it's not allowed in." And I was like, "Look at all these girls walking in with their purses. If this was on my arm, and I right. called it a purse, would you let me?" It's just so um. It's so uh, up for debate about like, like at the door, and I don't like that. It doesn't feel like a blanket rule. It feels like, yeah. um, hi sir, well, for you, I feel this way about you, so um, don't come. It's you know that door culture is it's very, very um, silly. Concerned with the look. Yeah, it's a little bit. They do it in New York too, but I find it's like in New York, it's like, oh well, I'm just gonna go next door then. In right. LA, it's kind of <laughs> like, well, I just parked. <laughs> right, they used. I just parked. That's like the, that's what people were saying. I was like, oh Jesus. <laughs> but did you see any uh, other theater you talk about uh, well, was, in in Rhode Island? Were you seeing? I remember seeing Carol Channing in Hello Dolly. Oh, oh my God! At whatever incredible. that big theater is mm -hmm. down there. Um, I Theater by the Sea is a is a theater that's in Rhode Island. They do a lot of summer stock shows there, a lot uh -huh. of musicals there. I spent a lot of time there. It's in a beautiful location. I think, I think it's in. Um, it's not Narragansett. It's it's lower. It's like Matunic, maybe. Oh, another name that we robbed from a Native American <laughs> tribe, <laughs> like Seekonk, Woonsocket, <laughs> or Warwick. It's just like a bunch of white people living in a city <laughs> named after all the people we murdered originally on that on that plot of land. They, they were good intentions <laughs> originally. Listen, I didn't play a part in it. I, I, if I could change the name to like Millertown, I would. <laughs> Did your family have a long history in the area? Um, yeah, my family has been there for I think maybe five generations. Ah, the sure. particular um, neighborhood in Cranston that I come from is called Knightsville. Oh. And it is 
literally a transplant from Itri, Italy. It is, uh. I think, maybe <laughs> maybe three generations ago, four generations ago, this whole little village in Italy was just like, let's go to America. Where should we go? And they chose Cranston, Rhode Island, and they moved there and kicked the Irish out. I mean, it was very... Like a, there's you can kind of feel the history because there's two huge churches right on my on the main street of where, the little area that I'm from. One is no one goes to it. It's completely empty. It was the Irish Catholic Church. Yeah. And next to it, they built they bought <laughs> the Italians weren't allowed into that church. So they said, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna buy the plot of land right next door, literally right next door, and we're gonna build a church that's maybe three feet taller, <laughs> just a little <laughs> bit bigger. Just a little. It's called St. Mary's. Um, it's where I was baptized and did the whole Roman Catholic charade. And um, <laughs> honestly, it, it's that that is such a great uh, little nugget from that describes where I'm from very well. Italians, they just came there and they said, "We're going to bring Italy right over here to Cranston. You can get the best pizza of your life. You can get a Zeppoli on yeah. St. Joseph's Day. You, it, it, it's the streets in the center are paved." The, the lines that separate the road is red, white, and green. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're really very yeah. proud. Very proud. Yeah, and they have Federal Hill is over there, Federal too. Federal Hill, yeah. It's the actually, it's, it's a lot section. like Federal Hill. The, yeah. the restaurant's in that area, and they have this festival once a year called St. Mary's Feast. Yeah. And it's like they carry the saint up and down. They carry St. <laughs> Mary up and down the streets of my neighborhood and stop at every intersection, and people throw roses, and they follow it with a rosary. It's You know, it's kind of actually petering out a little bit, which is yeah. kind of sad because while I don't consider myself a particularly religious person, there's something about that tradition and about um, about that part of my childhood that I really uh, enjoyed and I, I think is, was really unique. And these days as the neighborhood changes and as um, all these people who are straight off the boat from E-Tree kind of die low-key, right. um, uh, the, the neighborhood sort of has changed and the, the festival doesn't feel exactly the same, though I still travel home every third week of July for it. Ah, <laughs> well, there's something to the theatrics of it and the pageantry of it. The nostalgia is really nice too and um, it, because my house is so close to they, they bring like carnival rides like the end of Greece. Yeah. You know and they yeah. come out oh, we right. go together. All those rides <laughs> that unpack out of buses and cars and you're not exactly sure how they're held together but you get on it anyway. Right. Um, it's like right down the street from my house and when I was a kid it was like the theme park came to my house for five days and it was like <laughs> I was the coolest person in school. <laughs> it was really a, a really a, a a fun memory, and I, I always go home for it because it just it kind of I feel like it, it connects me back with where I came from just for a minute, yeah, just for a couple of days, and then I dip right back. And to you the get city. enough, and you got to get yeah, back. And to then the I city. head out for sure. And uh, you you did that at uh, I guess you were doing theater all through high school. You did the oh, Trinity yeah. program. Mm -hmm. uh, what well, Oscar Eustace was there at that point? Yes, he was. He was yeah. actually the first person to audition me, which oh. is uh, was is so unbelievable to see all the success that he has attained and all the wonderful theater that he's sort of. Birthed. Now at He's, the public theater. Yes, now at the yes. public theater, yes. Um, he. I remember I was so nervous when I went in for my audition, and he tried to get me out of my head. So he was like, see that stack of chairs over there in the corner of the room? He's like, can you build me a fort? Something that something cool? Like, a, take your time. And so I was like, okay. So I, like, built a fort out of these <laughs> folding chairs. Like, put two on the sides and made a roof. And he was like, now get in it. Sit inside of it. He was like, you like it? I was like, yeah. He was like, okay. So now let's run, let's run the lines back and forth, and you do it from inside your little fort. And by that time, I had just gotten so comfortable talking with him about my fort. He just gave me, gave me all the time in the world. And I felt so comfortable, and I auditioned. Excuse me. And um, he, uh, he, I'll never forget that. He really made me – he was the first person to be like, relax, man. 
Yeah. I just want to I want to meet you in this audition. I don't want you to be whatever you think you have to be. And that is something that I carry with me even to today. You know, mm-hmm. like my favorite auditions and the ones I feel best on are when I go in and I just do myself. Yeah. Um, and those are the most rewarding. And Oscar was a big part of that. That's I, a, an interesting and I don't want to make too much out of it. But yeah. it also seems to be consistent with the way that he works with artists mm-hmm. to say, listen, here's your thing that you do. Let me see you be relaxed in that zone, and then we'll nurture that and take it, take exactly. it forward. Exactly. That's the my raw impression stuff, of it, whether yeah. that really happens or not, but that's the, the feeling you get. He's a, a great guy. I mean, he wouldn't remember me, I'm sure of it. Yeah. I was so young. <laughs> but um, one day I hope to meet him and I hope to just pull him aside. And that, that's what I would say to him is, I don't know if you know this, but you made a big impression on me as a young child, and um, – I carry I carry that experience with me all the time. Yeah, that's a great story. Yeah. And uh, then when you get to NYU, mm-hmm. you're part of the Tisch School. Yes. Now that's uh, I imagine the time that you're there, uh, you, a lot of your colleagues, peers, are people that are circulating now mm-hmm. out into the uh, definitely the comedy world. Yeah. Because that's kind of where uh, your direction mm-hmm. uh, took you. Yep. Uh, so some people that we would know that uh, you've worked with from that era? Um, well, there's some people that have been on this very podcast. On this show? Yes. I. You have so many wonderful guests on this show. Like, Thank there's you. There's just yes. like so, ma- so much to comb through. Um, <laughs> and Bowen Yang is a great friend of mine. Oh, yes. on your podcast. Farrah Brook, yeah. um, who is another great friend of mine. Um, I did something called The Reality Show at NYU, which is like um, basically uh, it, it's – it's designed to um, welcome the freshmen on their first day and basically say to them, hello, you've moved to the craziest city in the world. Um, and, you know, NYU, it's not it's not all these city kids moving here. It's people from Minnesota, the flyover states. They're from Idaho. They're from Ohio. They, You know, NYU is a big draw for a lot of kids who want to, quote, unquote, move to the city. Right. But then when you get here, it's a whole other thing. There's no campus to kind of keep you contained. There's no, like – fun football game that's happening that you can go to and make friends and a lot of people can get really sad um and you know new york can be a lonely place sure yeah i tell people i have a couple friends that have moved here recently and i met up with them for coffee to kind of see how it's going and i was like so do you love it and they were like yes and i was like no you don't i was like you moved here in february (laughs) that's like the worst possible month you could ever move to new york it is freezing cold you do not know one person here you have no idea how to get around i cried for like six months when i got here but um i my advice to them is always you hating it is totally natural you've moved to a new place and it's one of the places on earth um and i was like you you just need to take your time give it a year is what i always say get all the seasons in because spring is really wonderful fall is really wonderful i enjoy summer too even with despite the hot trash it's tough. It's tough. It's start, we're getting a little taste of it today. Yeah, it the humidity is, is rough. And that was another thing about L.A. that I was like, oh, damn. It's so nice <laughs> over here. This <laughs> weather is – per- every day was perfect. That's how they get you. <laughs> that's yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, but now uh, yeah, I to totally – no, I agree with all of what you're saying. And uh, I have talked about it before that I just had panic attacks all the time uh, coming to New York. And it wasn't until I was a mature person that I was able to confidently take it on. But uh, I had to move here and know that I had a job in place and a couple other pieces that made it a little easier. Yeah, for just me. give you a, a, like some kind of a community, some, something, something to, hold to, on to to give you like an entryway into yeah. um, what I think is one of the most wonderful cities on earth. And I always say to people like, give it time. The people here are kind. The people here are busy. Yes. But um, you know, I want to be surrounded by people who are hustling. 
Well, and I found it, uh, maybe to connect some of what we're talking about, yes. uh, very easy to collaborate. Mm-hmm. People are very eager. They're happy to stop in for a little bit and do a show, uh, do a podcast, help you out with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Even as busy as you are, that's you get used to that pace. And so, yes, I'll have a show tonight, then I'll do a thing tomorrow, and then I'm happy to help you with this and blah, blah, blah. Where as L.A., again, like you make plans. And oh, yeah, I tried to do two shows in one night. I was like, oh, I'll do one in Venice at, at 7, and then I'll just go over to, to Silver Lake. I'll be there at 9.30. <laughs> and, it, you know, that can't happen. And in New York, no. it really can. You can bebop around and, and get a lot accomplished in yeah. a day. Yeah. You just got to carry it all on your back. <laughs> yeah, so you need a backpack. Backpack at the bar. For sure. Um, and that new NYU thing is still going? That you um, yes, the, the reality show. show. Yes, so it was um, started by Liz Suedos, who is a big mentor of mine and, and – um, and the late Liz Suedos, she's um, was a wonderful person, and she was really uh, the the reason why that show took off. She she kept the heart there. It was like we didn't. They had somebody from the health center coming up on the freshman's first day and saying, "Hi, my name is Zoe. I um <laughs> I'm from the health center. We offer a lot of um, programs that uh, you can take advantage of. And you know, the mental wellness is is something that is I think super important and is only recently you know. People are people are talking about it in a way that it's it's not just like oh you're mentally ill. It's no, we all have to be concerned for our own mental wellness. We all need to take care of our mental well being. And um, so uh, rather than do that, NYU was like, let's do what we do best. Let's put on a show. Right. right. <laughs> um, and I remember as a freshman seeing it, and, and that, there's another uh, draw to the opportunity, which is that you perform at Radio City Music Hall not because bad. that's where NYU has their opening. Their their uh, of course they do. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. Well, it was at the Madison Square one year, and it was at Radio City, and then it was at the Beacon. They do. It's really amazing. Like the 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 opportunity to perform there was like that. I was auditioning just on, based on that yeah, alone because yeah. it's full. It's it's the whole um, incoming class. So it it really is an overwhelming experience as a as a young performer. But also uh, the show is there to be like, hey, um, we understand you. This is written by the students for the students, and that was my first exposure. Excuse me, to putting my own words in my mouth. Yeah. To writing my own material. To um, Figuring out how to not just like make a bottom like joke, but to say something in my writing to um, have something there that is more than just a, a laugh. That it's like I'm laughing because there's truth in what you're saying. I'm laughing because I identify with what you're saying, and I'm laughing because you're making me feel better. Right. And that yeah. that is something because that's how I felt as a freshman. I was laughing along with it. I thought those kids were the most talented kids at NYU. They had to be. Yeah. Because it was like the hour went by like that, and it was just such a wonderful combination of sketch comedy and music and dancing. And Liz also had like had a great um, directorial energy. Her vibe was always, "Don't give them time to applaud. Keep going. Keep it moving. Don't <laughs> you know? Uh, don't egg them on. Attack them with what you have to say. Get just throw it all at them and." That was something that I really thought was very interesting because I had always been such a ham. <laughs> I loved like. Uh, Thankfully, you've played put that behind you. Yeah, I mean, I the ham stuff still comes into play sometimes, to be honest. But especially as I start to host more of my own shows here in the city, I realize that 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 cultivating that in high school, being the host of, I hosted pep rally, I hosted a holiday show, all of the we had like a talent show. I always wanted to be the host. Yeah, I loved Hosting's not having pretty good. I just loved not having to be on stage once. I loved being able to keep coming on. Right, hey right. guys, what's up? Like, I just love that. That was where I really <laughs> found um, that that was a, comedy was a big interest of mine. At, yeah. at both at the reality show and also like in high school doing those things. Yeah, and uh, she she uh, was as you said, uh, Liz was a powerful influence on you. She was a, a great avant garde director and. Uh, 
compose was she composing? Oh yes, composer. I, she uh, was nominated for a Tony. She yeah. with Runaways. She's um, one of one of the most influential people I think I've ever met. We had a kind of a tumultuous relationship. She 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 liked me, and we had known each other for about four or five years. But I was in college. I Sometimes I was like that one who just like I chose the party over con- war- being worried about my 8 a.m. rehearsal uh-huh. and I would come in a little bit late. You know, it was um, every now and then she was like, where are your priorities? You need to focus. You are such a talent. And I look back in retrospect. She was absolutely right. But I was sort of grappling with my youth and wanting to be wanting to have all those fun college experiences that social media was making me feel like I was missing out on. Oh, yes. And um, and also just like respecting my art and also respecting other people's time. Yeah. She taught me a lot about that. Well, that's that's uh, all sounds very good and powerful, and that it's uh, stuck with you. And listen, there's nothing wrong with being a ham. I wasn't implying that the, <laughs> you, you need a little bit of that. To hey, get I mean, that. The, like uh, some of the some of the most talented people are big big old hams. Jay Leno, Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> Rachel, um, Jay Leno was the first one. Well, yeah, I mean, I, when I think of like yaka yaka, I think, oh, okay. I think okay. like like when I see Jay Leno's opening monologues, I remember watching those as a kid and uh, with my dad, and I would be like, wow, what a ham this guy is. He really loves himself. Like, he was so smug, and those uh, opening okay. monologues okay. were they felt very like you're gonna laugh because it's me. Uh, um, right. And I right. sort of admired that. Well, yeah. Sort of. It can get you to a certain place. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, I'm sorry for uh, the loss of uh, Liz Suedos. I went to a tribute concert, and it was very uh, moving and effective, and I know she touched a lot of people and had a a great influence on um, uh, your colleagues, but also going back a number of years. Oh, yeah. She's she's uh, been a part of many artists' lives, and she's... She's I, I carry her with her all the time. We pop roulette because so many of us in my my musical sketch group have worked with her. We oftentimes will we, we learned a lot of like um, warm up games. She spent a lot of time in many countries. There you go. And we know some some like uh, consonant uh, warm ups that are like literally like like tribal uh, chants from like Tibet. Yeah. And like Liz lived there for like six months and learned them, and she. Imparted them onto us as young children, and sometimes we'll do them, and it, it feels like she, she's there with us because that you know no one knows Jin Jiri Ja Uriri, like this like crazy Tibetan chant. No one knows it except for people who have have been around her. And were the people in Tibet using it for a theater warm up? <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> no, okay. But um, I know I know she spent a lot of time traveling with artists from all over the yeah. world. So perhaps yeah. who knows? That could have washed over me one day that I was late. <laughs> yeah, all right, you missed that yeah. one. Well, I know uh, when I pass, there'll be some disappointed young people out there too. I, <laughs> I know as a, a role model to the to the youth. Yeah. Um. So you you're already here. You already know about UCB, I assume, as yes. when you're in college. Um, and then you hook up with them. How soon after that does Pop Roulette, the musical sketch group, as we were talking about, uh, get going? So Pop Roulette was pretty much born um, after we graduated from NYU. We left the reality show, yeah. and we all were itching for an opportunity to continue to create in the same way that we had sort of been groomed to create for so long. Mm-hmm. And um, Liz really, it was wonderful to have her in that initial period of learning how to work together because there was somebody – to say, David, you're being too much, or Matt, no, or um, you know what, Amanda, you lead the vocal warm up because this is the hat that you wear really well. She really taught us how to delegate mm-hmm. and when to kind of back off and and um, how to how to corroborate your creative energies in a way that's fruitful. It could be a lot of sketch groups; they'll tell you they're together for like six months. 
they can't get together. They, one person wants to do their idea. One per, another person wants to do their idea. It's hard to collaborate. And then when those ideas come together, it's sort of like, well, we smash these two ideas together rather than sort of birthing something new out of multiple people people's ideas and their energies. Yeah. So Liz sort of gave us the tools. So when we went out, we said, well, we've been writing sketch for – uh, you know, we would write things about roommates or, uh, you know, dining halls or, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and other serious things, you know, uh, uh, being that that was the wonderful part about the reality show is it had some really real moments about um, I'm scared. I don't fit in my body. I'm, I don't like my body. I think I might be gay or lesbian or transgender. Um, I'm from Milwaukee. Like, how do I everyone here seems so confident? Um, how do I fit in? How do I express myself? Um, so having gone through all that, we were like, um, when we when we came out of that experience, we were like, we can write about anything now. So at first, it, it was pop culture-y. Um, it took a little while for Pop Roulette to sort of finesse our brand, if you will. Yeah, sure. Um, what, what we wanted to talk about, what we were good at talking about, what was interesting. Um, and it... We for a while we we were we did music yes but we also did a lot of just straight up classic sketch comedy. Mm -hmm. um, we would have, do videos, write sketches for shows. Was and, it always at UCB? Um, no, actually, we started off um, performing at the People's Improv Theater. Sure, I, um, yes. they were the first people that we had sort of an in with. Um, they gave us a, a weekly show. I'm sorry, a monthly show um, for a little while, and then we would do runs for them eight weeks at a time. It felt like off Broadway. It felt like um, it felt so wonderful to have like not only like a show to go to every week, but um, a show that I could like contribute to. I could write something on the train. I could go home and, and bang something out. And I had a forum to kind of work those things out. Right. And um, I wish honestly I had done it sooner. And I also wish that NYU had sort of. I mean, the reality show was wonderful, but I put myself in that position. But I know a lot of people who, and NYU it was very very hard to kind of find a, like uh, opportunities to perform. Mm -hmm. They really keep. Excuse me. The um, the the schools separate. The film schools over here. Photography's over here. Directing's over there. They really don't um encourage collaboration. It yeah. kind of happens like at the students level. Like if a film student has like a project they're working on, they reach out. But like it really isn't super collaborative. I think that's true. A lot of uh, arts-minded universities and arts-minded programs. Not all of them. They say they want that collaborate uh, collaborative spirit, but what happens is you know you get knee-deep in some kind of sculpture event or some kind of architectural deal, and you're gone. You're out of it. It's too hard exactly. to coordinate the, the schedule. Yeah, it's just, it, it, it was a shame that we didn't have more opportunities like that. When we graduated, Robert De Niro spoke at our graduation, yeah. our Tisch graduation, and he said his, his whole bit was, I'm not even here to talk to you guys. I'm here to meet you. And he held up a headshot. <laughs> and he was like, I want, I want you all to know that you are the future of of the art that you're creating, you together, using each other, collaborating with one another, you are going to create the new work, what everyone talks about, what everyone wants to be a part of. Um, and as I'm, I think, four years, five years out from college now, and it's he was absolutely right. Yeah. The, the people around me, the resources that I have, um, the friends that I've made, uh, that's that was the benefit from NYU. That was, the, that was what I took away, was right. like, um, we together are going to create some amazing things. And has the the uh, speaking of that, has the makeup of Pop Roulette, the the cast, kind of stayed pretty steady? Yeah, we yeah. um we had auditions. So anyway, so we graduated from NYU. We yeah. were rehearsing. Uh, we were performing at the Pit. We would do little one-off shows at other places. Um, and then we had our, we had one round of auditions. We, we were very we were sort of esteemed. We had had a couple of videos that went. I mean, viral these days is a million views, in my opinion. 
Um, well, and you, you got some good. We have a, a, you know, have a mean, lot of content up there. There's a couple. The yeah, yeah, we ha- we hit we hit it off really great at the start, and so we had a lot of people who were interested in becoming a part of the group, and and we were from a reality show, which was like I think around 18, 16 to eighteen participants, which is mm-hmm. a lot of people. Yeah, and we were I think maybe six at the time or eight, and. Um, a couple people moved to LA almost immediately after graduating from college, so um, we lost a couple members. So we um, actually held auditions, and that where that's where we got Bo and Yang, uh-huh. which was just a, such a wonderful addition to the group. And um, also Rachel Winitsky, who uh-huh. is another comedian and performer, um, she uh, she also joined the group as well. And I think that was that moment there was when we really started to hone in on a brand. Um, me, Matt, and Bo and are really close friends. We go to theme parks together. We've been away. We've shared m- thousands of Airbnbs. <laughs> right. And um, uh, the the three of us really kind of had like a – we jived. Um, so we started to really create like this really silly, stupid content about how we were young and beautiful and never going to die and um, tried to poke fun at our youth as much as possible. And that was kind of where Popperlet's brand sort of was born. It was like this sort of like um, after-school special – uh, m- like Mickey Mouse Club meets like Zoom meets like I don't know s- something crazy like uh, and and after that we started to perform all over the place we would do shows at Union Hall and then we um, wrote a show called Amazing Earth right. which I spoke yes. about a little bit earlier yes. basically yes. the premise is that we arrive on an alien planet and we are there to talk about Earth in a cultural exchange and you <laughs> learn kind of over the course of the show that Earth is collapsing <laughs> and we need to move here. Um, it's very self-aware and very like presentational in a m- musical theater way that's sort of corny and like uh, kind of points at the falseness of musical theater sometimes yeah. or like the way that you're talking to one another it's like it's very uh <laughs> it's, it's not not human behavior right and at NYU I had spent a lot of time studying musical theater not because it was my my main interest but because um I don't know when you're in high school the musical at least where I was from the musical was like the big show sure and like yeah. I said I was a ham yeah so I wanted to be in a in lot front of places of the, that's true yes yeah and it's a bit of a shame, but, you know, musicals are a lot of fun, and they're really easily digestible for a lot of young kids. Well, it gets a lot of people involved. Exactly. You get the band. You get the mm-hmm. stage crew. And God there are a lot them. of great musicals. It's hard to get kids excited about The Glass Menagerie. Um, <laughs> it's, which, it's also tough to do yes. as a high school. Oh, abso- absolutely. <laughs> with, with any kind of authority. <laughs> oh, you know what? It's I would sad. love to see a high school production of The Glass Menagerie that included myself in it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> But um, yeah, so I spent a lot of time doing the musicals there. So I think I was like sort of tricked into that being my like my interest. I was like, I want to be, I'm, I love musicals, um, and I did, and I still sure. do. Um, but I don't think that was exactly what my skill set was, or necessarily what I was even interested in. You know, yeah. I would go on road trips with my musical theater friends, and they would all be singing like Hairspray. They all knew every single word, and I would just like sit in the back on my like Verizon flip phone and like just like thumb through my text messages because I just I didn't identify with that community so yeah. much but I did spend a lot of time at Cap 21 because they they kind of sort you when you audition um, and uh, Cap, Cap 21 is, is what? Is, is a musical it's a collaborative arts project of the 21st century is, is what it's okay. an acronym for but um, it is uh, was one of the, the more esteemed uh, musical theater programs in the Tisch Drama program. I see. There's the Experimental Theater Wing. There's right, Playwrights right, Horizons. Right, right, right. Um, and they all kind of focus on something different. In retrospect, I really think it should be a rotating program. It should be every actor should spend a chunk of their experience at NYU in each of the studios. Yeah. Because they each offer something that is a, a way of thinking about performing. And I think it helps you kind of cultivate your interests. Yeah. Rather than kind of like um, they assume that at 18 years old you know what's best for you, which is – or that they know what's best for you, which is mm-hmm. kind of crazy. But Cap Twenty One had all the credits, like all the 
the all the the roster of alumni. Yeah, and I was yeah, like yeah. all working, and so for me, it was very important that if I was going to spend two hundred thousand dollars on my education, <laughs> two hundred thousand. <laughs> let me say that again, like into the mic, very directly. Two hundred k, like a nice house in like a suburb somewhere, probably with like a like a nice car in the driveway as well. I could have bought, but um, it was a uh, that was where I spent a lot of my time. So coming out and having Pop Roulette as like this musical machine where I was able to sort of employ all this dance trading that I had and um, all of that's, that's kind of my role there is that I do a lot of the writing for the group. I could do a lot of the managerial stuff, the uh-huh. emails, the coordination, and I do a lot of the choreography. That's, that's like how I get to flex my dance muscles, which I spent so long um, cultivating. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to drop into a split, but I, I certainly have an <laughs> eye, like a directorial eye on stage for, um, for choreography and for staging. Did you work with uh, Michael Rain? Um, yes, I yeah. did work with Michael Rain. He yeah. was a tap instructor of mine. <laughs> yeah, he did a little tap on one of the shows we did at Joe's He's Pub. fantastic. Terrific guy. Yeah, he Terrific was great. Guy. I wasn't much of a tapper. Nah. I tried. You know, I, you know, I would always say, oh, God damn it, why didn't I listen to my dad? My dad actually tried to get me involved in dance classes when I was quite young. Which I think back on is you know, my dad's like you know he's Italian he's he firefighter wear, yeah, yeah firefighter and he's encouraging his son to take dance classes what what a great guy yeah um, he, he knew what was going on yeah he knew what was going on and <laughs> yeah. you know I didn't realize that until later on that you know he really did try to encourage me from a very young age and I was like no I don't want to be the only boy in the class which you know these days I like to think that that that's kind of like a little bit less of a thing in some places that the, they're not afraid to. Um, go and explore things that perhaps are uh, predominantly masculine or predominantly feminine. My, my high school has a women's hockey team now, <laughs> yes. which is, aw- which is yeah. fantastic. Um, <laughs> and it's like got a full roster. I, I recently saw it. I have a younger cousin and I looked at her yearbook and I was like, look at this women's hockey team. Yes. Like oh, ice hockey. Yeah. Ice yeah, hockey. Not just the ladies field hockey. No, no, no. Yeah. Ice hockey. Like, on, real like in pads, <laughs> on skates. I was like, this, this is fantastic. But um, yeah, so Popperlet became a really uh, wonderful um outlet for me to use all that training that I had um, and also like to learn from other people. Yeah. Matt Rogers, who is a close friend of mine, who he's uh, the director of our group. He's yeah. he spent so much time um, writing sketch comedy and he graduated from the dramatic writing school at NYU. So he really didn't have any traditional performance training, but he had a lot of writing training. So like we were just able to really learn from one another. I like learned about what the game of a sketch is and beats and, and how to like heighten a sketch and started to really understand the formula of sketch yeah. comedy because yeah. it truly is a formula. Well, sketch is, it, is a formula and has its own sort of internal logic. And I think certainly what I learned from that is economy uh, of line, that every word has to serve each uh, other right. and serve the premise of the sketch. Musical comedy is its own particular brand of thing. And I think, you know, it's not in the way, not unlike the way that musicals at high schools are very popular. Mm-hmm. It also lends itself to being very popular. And that's why you had in part some of the success with the viral thing mm-hmm. it's a, a thing you can watch in three minutes exactly and get it and i learned uh, that quickly that your best friend in comedy is a good edit man oh yes yeah take that yeah, stuff yeah. out take kill your out. babies it's too long <laughs> it's too people long. people don't you know and they, there are ways that you could look at the analytics of youtube videos now and it's like you know after a minute if you haven't grabbed them people click right out of that thing yeah like, you know and that, it's a weird universe because I, I mean i've talked about it before when we made our web series and things. Never before have I designed something that feels like um, uh, people are watching it to actively look away. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, like yes. They, they want to know that it's okay to watch past a certain moment, but they're not. Anyway, it's a, it's a, it's it's another formula that you have to kind You're of. You're very right out. about that, and, um, and it's because the 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 ground is constantly shifting, and and like um like you know I saw in since we graduated from college, I watched television go over to the internet, like just move right over to Netflix and Amazon yeah. and. Um, it's changing, and I think sometimes back on my education, and I'm like, well, I had people who now we're out of touch because there are pieces of of becoming a performer that are you need to learn from people who who have been through it. But you know, I had like a like a 60 year old um, teacher telling me about the biz and yeah. what the future yeah, of the yeah. business, and you know, she didn't even know. Like we didn't talk about um, online platforms or. Any of that stuff, and as I as I walked out, as I left college, I was like, "Wow, this is really where things are moving." And I had a sense, but I was like, "No, I couldn't possibly know anything." <laughs> and then, and then I saw it really move over, and I was like, "No, my instincts were totally right." And that's part about like, um, that's part of what capitalizing on your own intuitions and, and what your generation is bringing to the table. Like Robert De Niro said, you know, you guys are creating the next the next round of amazing art and um, and commercial art as well, and. Um, so once I kind of harnessed that, it, it really put a pep in my step with Pop Roulette. I felt like yeah. this was my outlet. This was my opportunity. And um, so, yeah, the show at UCB was so much fun. We ran there for about nine months. Um, Shannon and, and, O'Neill, who runs the theater, is so so wonderful. She loves to support yeah. new art. And it, it, Pop Roulette is still going. Oh, yeah. Lots of shows uh, that, are, that are happening. And I, of course, love the video uh, a couple of them. Just I love the gay scarf. <laughs> I enjoy <laughs> that you. immensely. Um, and I really love the lyric, Old Navy's got solids, but it's not the right fit. <laughs> yeah. You know, don't that, you feel that way about Old Navy? Like, I feel exactly that way about really, Old Navy. Really solid stuff, good basics, yeah, yeah. but it's just never the right no. fit. I wonder who their target demographic is with yeah. the sizes there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just one body. Yeah. It's just one kid. It really is. But, <laughs> it and you know what okay I love about on. Old Navy, too? Those mannequins, they're always like smile. They're, they're like yeah, very yeah. animated faces, and I always loved that. Yeah, and there's usually a dog. Yes, there is always a dog, What's just for dog no reason. And they have like at the checkout line, there's like all these tchotchkes. What's like, going on there? Uh, there's like you can buy lotion, you can buy Such like a weird a impulse fan. buy. <laughs> exactly. It's already a store full of impulse buys. Exactly. You're going in there like I'm at the beach, I need a t-shirt. This t-shirt is three dollars. Right. The right. sales there, you really can't beat them if you wear no, it once no. and then throw it out. It's no, it usually it's, it just was falls worth apart. it. Uh, but yeah, a gay scarf is is my life's work. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's a um, that was work. just part of when I first of all I love how short it was. Yep. I pitched it to the group. I, I literally was it was walking around the streets of New York in the winter, and I was just like, I noticed that like I knew I knew a queer when I saw one when he was just wrapped <laughs> all the way up to his neck in like a vibrant American Apparel scr- circle scarf, myself included, and. Um, I walked into our – and that was another thing that was nice about Pop Roulette when we first got started is we, we would meet twice a week, which is a lot. Yeah, um, that's a lot. And uh, it was so wonderful to sit down and be like, you know what made me laugh this week? Or, oh, I have this idea. And I literally just remember pitching it to my friend Sudi. Um, and I was like – it goes like, gay scarf, gay scarf. And she was like – she burst out into laughter. She was like, <laughs> that is so direct, so specific. And, you know, she really encouraged me to believe in my idea and then to, to do it, to see it all the way to the end and, and to put it out on the Internet like that. It was a lot of fun. Yes, yes. Well, I love that one. Calves as a new body part of the, uh, an ob- to yes. objectify uh, stuff from the 90s. Mm-hmm. Nice uh, way to send up sort of the nostalgia that people have and only talk about the good things. Yeah, there that. was like a period of time where I was just like everyone was like reminiscing about. I mean, I feel like this happens to every generation once yeah. you get a certain 
uh, to a certain place away from the decade that you were like born in or a child and everyone's yeah. like oh the 80s the 70s the 60s and we're, we're in the place where everyone's talking about the 90s and how well, wonderful it was and pogs and stuff but oh, like you know there was like some horrible things happened in the 90s and that was kind of like and I love that's what I like about Pop Roulette is that it's frivolous it's silly it's fun but we always try to underline that like um, we're aware and we're, we're smart people yeah. um, and that that is I think where People they like pop roulette. It's fun, good singing. But then they say, "Oh, okay, I really like pop roulette." They, I feel like they get me, and that this isn't just surface level humor. There's something here that is smart. Right, right. Which is good. Well, and uh, speaking of someone who has endured the test of time, <laughs> who has uh, moved through various media platforms, who is both uh, someone we refer to with nostalgia but with great seriousness, uh, I would be. Um, uh, Remiss if I did not bring up Britney Spears, oh. <laughs> because uh, you have a real affinity for her. Oh, I just you know I feel like she raised me. That's right. I'm not from that generation exactly. <laughs> I watched her as you know be a kid, right? You know, uh, and she kind of traversed the gauntlet of fame from uh, overly sexed up teen to wild falling apart mother to kind of trailer trash chic. To now, I don't know where she's at. Respected veteran. They glued, they glued her back together. <laughs> they put her back together. But where, where does she stand now? Well, I mean, I met Brittany, you know, very young. She was like the 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 my first like pop star that I had an obsession with. Yeah. And as a gay man, now I look back and I was like, of course, you know, we. I'm making a generalization, but I'll say it anyway. Gay men, we tend to like idolize these these powerful females. They embody all of the femininity that we're afraid to display. Yeah. Um, and uh, also, they just like it's it's fun. Who doesn't love dancing and costumes? And it, she was. Uh, I, I loved watching her rise. I was rooting for her so hard. And like, I loved her first album. And then like the next album was Oops. Oh my God, that red bodysuit just like changed me. Like I knew I was like, Oh my God, this is even better. Like as she rose, like I got more excited for like the potential. And then Slave yes. for You was like this incredible. I just thought she was the best dancer I'd ever seen. And I loved all of the like the styling and obviously her body. Then I thought I was attracted to it. Now I realize I perhaps idolized it or or was jealous of of um all of the 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 raunchiness and the femininity and the fun that she seems to be in control of <laughs> yeah but then as someone was yes somebody was <laughs> and then like you know the, the rise and fall of her i feel like you know and I, we see this now with the with like kylie jenner with uh, the kardashians it's like um she was part of an experiment um she was part of the experiment of that time which was somebody being raised uh, under under supervision, under surveillance, by a whole population of people, and um, traversing that is like the gauntlet of fame. Is what what you just said is exactly right. I was I, in my later years, I I just became obsessed with the idea of like how she she wasn't given the opportunity to like make mistakes to go. Think, you know, I just think about if I had been filmed my my whole life growing up, like oh my god, like people would think what would they think about me you know and she didn't necessarily ask for this she was on star search at like eight years old right, right. she's a simple girl from louisiana <laughs> she's from Kentwood, louisiana right and um seeing her now and just seeing the lights just so out of her eyes <laughs> and like she just sort of seems like this sort of puppet but i, I do a bit on social media where she's my mom yeah. and i love her <laughs> and you know her instagram is one of my favorite things right now because she so clearly has control of it um it's like pictures of Tacos, like God she's the like Getty images. <laughs> like she'll post a picture of tacos, and she'll say, "Wow, delicious, yum!" 
Yeah. And it's just like, oh my God, Brit, like she's just so simple. Like she posted a picture at like um like uh, at Splash Mountain in Disney with her two boys, which I I always also joke about how thank God Britney had boys. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, you know there's there's some superpower in the world when we gave Britney two boys, it's exactly what she needed. Yeah. <laughs> And I just love seeing her holding them and smiling. I just feel like she was never really given the opportunity to be, like, a child and to just, like, go have fun out there and, like, not worry about, like, first of all, working. Yeah. And, like, making money and capitalizing on herself. But also, um, you know, just having fun without without worrying about what people were thinking of her. And we really destroyed her. And I don't think we've learned. I think that we, we, we still do it to, like, this Kylie Jenner, for example. She's another experiment. She's like the next tier of this millennial experiment experiment where we've never seen somebody with 100 million followers, yeah. you know, which is like, you know, uh, like how many people voted? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the, all these people subscribe to her, subscribe to her Instagram yes. and buy her products. And she's so rich. She's so famous. And she's done nothing. And she's been, you know, she's had cameras in her face from – a from the time she was a child so you know her lips are all done her ass is padded she's like she's it's just um she's an experiment and i i wish the best for her yeah. but i i also yes. i watch her now with like a very cautious and very concerned eye which i should have done as a child with you know which these young millennials are doing with her they love her they're not they're not looking at her like i am looking at her because i feel like i did this to britney and they are doing this to kylie right that's not a, I, that's how i feel when i was uh, maybe coming up you might have like a michael jackson right same kind of thing exactly really From put such through a the young ringer. age right but you go back judy garland Oh, same kind of thing. Exactly. And eventually, I don't know if it's just a particular American entertainment thing uh, about it. Uh, that's the process. But there is certainly uh, no uh, uh, real good to be gained from forcing them through this. We, are, we devour <laughs> For corporate it. profits. Exactly. <laughs> Seems pretty sad. It, and it every, is there's sad. one of them that comes out, and I hope that Britney is in control now. Well, yeah, you know what? And that's what I say. That's a big part of my bit is um, this woman raised you. You better go on her Instagram. You better like it. You better leave a positive comment saying, you look wonderful, Brittany. Have a good day. <laughs> right. Sometimes I'll comment on a picture and say, make sure you wear your sunscreen. <laughs> Just get, send her positive vibes. We devoured her. We took everything from her. Let's, let's like, let her live out Give her years. Go to back. Vegas. Yeah. Cheer her on. You know, she's basically a drag performer now. She's like, she doesn't even try to sing live, which is like something I think is so hilarious that, like, we ever let artists get away with that. Like, yeah. how... How did we like the lip syncing? There was like a little period where lip syncing was like totally fine, yeah. And like, or maybe it wasn't, but no, no, it, it was, was fine. It was totally <laughs> fine. Everyone was yeah. doing it, and and it's just it's so crazy to me now that you're a drag performer. Yeah, you know, you just make you make your mix, and then you just go out and do it, play it, dance but, along um, to it. But you know, she gave me a lot of fun years in my basement with a boombox. Well, and listen, that's so, as much as we can hope from yeah, anything. Yeah, exactly. I so think. I'm I'm here to celebrate her. Well, that's good and now I'm going to try and do the same. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I'll continue to celebrate you and your great success. Yes, uh, thank Popperlet you. has any shows coming up soon? Um, Paul Popperlet's in the middle of writing a brand new show. Brand new show. Yes. Good. Um, the there's a couple premises ro rolling around, but the, the the main one that's sticking out right now is Popperlet presents Sex is Gross, <laughs> and um, yes, it it's is going to be like a, a sort of another present presentation um, performative experience where we just talk about sex. 
Um, but it's it's in the work still, and everyone's working really hard on um, their solo stuff. And uh, Bowen, sure Bowen, are. Matt, and myself. I just did a show recently with Matt called Game Show. Uh huh. Gay show. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it was basically two straights battle head to head to find out who is gayer, <laughs> who is gay as shit. And um, it was really fun. You know, we listened to Oscar speeches, and they had to tell us which who it was and what year it was and for what movie. And we, we do really silly games. And, it, and um, I do a lot of stand-up around the city yes. on my yep. own. I have a show um, coming up this Monday called Stand Up Video where we celebrate um, the music video. And uh, – all that, all the wonderful ones that we've had over the years, um, and I bring in comedians and we talk about it. They basically come up with presentations, and the audience votes on what is the most iconic music video. Ah. It's a lot of fun. Um, creating my own work and, and creating a space for not just Popperlet but for myself as Dave Mazzoni yep. Um, yep. has been a lot of fun. And I think that that I'm about to turn 27, um, and 26 for me was a big year of while Popperlet was such a success, and I spent a lot of time cultivating that. 26 was a big year. Of figuring out who Dave is. Oh, and, 26 um, is a mess. Everybody I know has gone through a crisis at 26. It right was just there. like, yeah, like I, you, you're just, I want to be you're doing, really out of college, and it. you feel yep. you feel like your 30s are upon you, even though they're not. <laughs> and also, th- you know, 30s for me, I think men and women, but men especially, coming to their prime in their 30s, we're really immature for a long time. And yeah. um, I I think uh, that in 26, I I had a full blown panic attack. I quit my job. I like. Yes. Got depressed. I, 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 but then um, I had a wonderful, like I said, a wonderful network of people around me to inspire me and to lift me up and to collaborate with. And then um, I am leaving 26 feeling fully formed and like excited for what is to come. Well, good. Good. Because <laughs> there's a lot of years ahead of you. Oh, and for sure. Because. You sometimes get even more comfortable after 40. Oh, honestly, like, I'm looking forward to all of the years ahead of me. Yeah, But good. for a little while, it was just, it felt like a lot of pressure because, and everyone in in, the sh- in showbiz has their time, and it comes early for some people, and it comes later. Yes. And for a while, all I wanted to do was sort of, like, um, make this expensive education prove itself. Like, right. I, I wanted the, the check. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wanted it to. I wanted the validation, and then I realized that the validation doesn't come from someone else handing you an opportunity. It doesn't just. It doesn't just spill over to you like that. Like it does for some people. I have friends on Broadway, friends who have like Rachel Bloom is is uh, an NYU alum. We watched her go win a Golden Globe for her yes, show. Yes, yes, and crazy. It's incredible, and you can choose to be spiteful or um, compare yourself to those people, or you can choose to be inspired by them. And I think that, that, that that's the better choice. That's the better choice for sure. David, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. You are wonderful, and um, I wish you the best of luck. I hope that we can hang out sometime soon. I would love that. And <laughs> I, uh, you know, if you need me to come by and do anything, I'm happy to do it. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, that, my house needs cleaning. <laughs> well, okay. Let's talk about it. <laughs> I joke. <laughs> thank, thank you so you, much. Thank you, David. So there we have it. I guess I'm going to be uh, doing tours of the NYU campus soon with all these great alumni I've been featuring on this show. Before that happens, uh, we do have a live program for you coming up Wednesday, May 10th at the Slipper Room on the Lower East Side. My guest will be Jason Zinneman, who wrote a fantastic book. I'm telling you, it's all about David Letterman and his influence and uh, called uh, Letterman, The Last Giant of Late Night. It's, it's marvelous, as I've said. And, uh, you know, we'll be kind of using that as a launching off point for the conversation. We also have the terrifically funny Maeve Higgins, who you may know from her appearances on Star Talk, 
with Neil deGrasse Tyson or her own podcast, Mave in America. And Aiku Famadu, whose name I may have mispronounced earlier, I apologize, but he's a great talent exploring the form of late-night talk shows and is in residence at Joe's Pub. Now, you may have caught him doing stand-up around town or on the special without Brett Davis. Another one of those uh, shows that has so many great, talented people coming out of it. So, uh, please come on out to the Slipper Room on Wednesday, May 10th at 8 p.m. Doors will be open at 7. You get to see a little behind the magic if you come early. Uh, tickets are $10 and $12. Cornelius Loy will be there playing the magical theremin as always. And I'll be there, too, holding it all together. Please remember to rate and review us on iTunes. It means the world. Now they call it Apple Podcasts, but it still means the world to me. Uh, it does make a difference. And also keep in mind that although this night is ending, a bright new day is just ahead. Deep Night is written and performed by James Bewley with production assistance from Harvest Works in New York City. Music throughout each episode is provided by the amazing talents on the artistic roster of Howler Hills Farm in the great state of Ohio. Deep Night theme by Zach Gabbard, Season 9 podcast icon and logo designed by Samantha Mash. Download episodes directly through DaleRadio.com or subscribe and review the show on iTunes. Also available on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Follow Dale on Twitter at Dale Radio or Instagram at Dale Seaver for behind-the-scenes peeks into the production of the show and the life of Dale Seaver. Thank you to all the subscribers and supporters of this program, and thanks to you for listening. <laughs>